Welcome to season two of The Influencers. We've expanded our scope to bring you interviews with some of the most interesting and thoughtful voices from the digitally driven seismic transformation happening at the intersection of law, business and technology. We'll be sharing with you the rapidly evolving information that you need to know. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Influencers with conversations on digital technology and law. I'm Leo von Gerlach, and with me today is Rosemary Steininger. Rosemary is founder and CEO of Chemistry, which is a highly advanced matching platform for business networks and organizations. Rosemary is also a long-term member of the German advisory group to the German government and in particular advisor on the German roadmap for AI. And we like to go into great detail into what they actually do and how that is related to her business. But before we do so, let's perhaps go a little bit further back in your life, Rosemary. You have been a long-term manager with the BMW Foundation. And perhaps you share with us what brought you from the work for a business foundation to the world of matchmaking and network building. Yes, first, let me say thank you for having me, Leo. It's great being here. So I always uh, was between a few worlds. One world was BMW with a very technical background, developing algorithms and uh, optimizing their logistics network. But then I switched over to the BMW Foundation, Eberhard von Kuhnheim Stiftung, that was called, and um, I developed the first matching algorithm for them for a mentoring program. Um, and after a few years, uh, BMW came along and said, we want matching as well. We need matching um, solutions for a few leadership programs. And could you do that? And that was the time when I decided to found my own company and, um, uh, yeah, be my own boss and, and try to get it work. Wonderful. And obviously in matchmaking, in business context, you rely a lot on psychometric studies and evaluations. Perhaps you just tell us what type of metrics you use and how that fits with your business model. Yeah, as, as you said, the name of our company is Chemistry. Uh, so we say that when the chemistry is right, uh, new things can happen and things grow like the tree. Um, that's in our name as well, chemistry. Um, and the question is, of course, how to build chemistry with algorithms, which is in the first, on the first glance, uh, not re really easy. And we had help there from the psychologists of the Munich University who developed, um, yeah, as you said, a, a set of questions for us trying to capture chemistry. It's based on the ocean model, the big five uh, model, where uh, there are five big uh, personality traits that are um, separated in different ways of doing stuff, like being very communicative, being very pragmatic or stuff like that. And we use that and ask people in the work context, who do you like working together with very communicative people, with very pragmatic people, a lot or not at all? So that's one set of questions. And the other set of questions is you yourself, how would you describe yourself? Or how would people who know you well describe you? 
and then we match the preferences. So if I say I, I want to work with somebody who is very pragmatic and you say uh, other people will describe you as that, then we have points in that context. And um, we do that over 11 different um, features, 11 different um, uh, points, and then uh, that's what builds our chemistry. Okay, so you have personality traits, then you break this down into features. And then, of course, at some point you want to use technology, and that means you need to translate that into algorithms. Perhaps you um, just tell us how that bridge works from the psychometric world to the world of algorithms and breaking it down for a system. What we do is we use um, questionnaires. Uh, so it's not what, I don't know, the internet or any other source knows about me that's relevant in our uh, matchmaking algorithms, but it's only what I want to say and I want to tell people. So uh, we develop questionnaires with our customers. One part is the psychological part. And then, of course, we have like, in which sector do I work? What's my problem? All the down-to-earth stuff. Um, and all these preferences are fed into the algorithm. We decide whether they are filtered out or, or where the surplus points are. Um, and the, in the end, um, there's an optimization across the whole field of participants. Um, and the, the result is that you get your best match. So of all those in the, in the group, uh, who fits you best? So what's the additional value that the algorithm brings? I mean, in addition to the traditional ways of psychometric analysis of any given personalities that we have been knowing for quite some time? There are, I think, three uh, three aspects there. One is that um, nobody needs to know your psychometric profile. It's only in the algorithms. It's not there for anyone to see. So it's very uh, trustworthy system. The second is that um, in our algorithms, we can deal with 100 or more different aspects in matching. When you do it, by hand, I think about five is all you can manage. Uh, like if you say it's uh, the region is important and the professional background is important and what people want, okay. But uh, that's uh, all, well, more or less all you can do when you do it by hand. Um, and the algorithms, of course, they can handle hundreds of, of different aspects. Um, and if you have a group uh, larger than 50, it's not really possible to do it with high quality manually. It's not something you want to do, I'm sure. Speaking of quality, what type of quality control do you use or what type of review in terms of you are okay even with the benefit of hindsight and double checking that the results that the algorithm has produced for matchmaking are those that you find agreeable also when having a second kind of human look at the results? Mm -hmm. I think it's very important to have, uh, to really think about how autonomous uh, a software system or an AI should be. Um, and there should be different levels of autonomy. On the one hand, our users, the end users, so if you're a mentor or a mentee, they get a lot of insight into the matching process and they can see exactly why they are a match. 
And of course, they give feedback for every single match saying, I want this match or I, uh, I veto it because of this or that reason. And we learn from that. It's expert learning, so it's not totally automatic because it doesn't really work to, put, to do that totally automatically. It's expert learning from vetoes on the one hand. And on the other hand, it's uh, our customers who can check every match before informing the participants They can check every single match and see if they like it and if it's good enough. And when we start with a matching project with our customers, mostly we have a few test rounds where our customers say, well, I'm not quite sure. I wouldn't have done it like this or would I, I would have added this and that uh, information. And then we can see that the concept needs to be enhanced that we need to ask one more question or we need to put one more filter or things like that that you couldn't really all think about beforehand, but you find it out when you, when you test the matching algorithms. And when everybody is satisfied, it goes live and then uh, there are real matches and then we learn from the participants' feedback. That's very clear. Very good way of just learning and educating the system and perhaps stay with that theme. Um, in terms of use cases where you say this is the area where our products make most sense or make much sense, what could you tell us? Um, most of our customers use it for some or all aspects of the employee life cycle. So from recruiting the right people for a given job to onboarding them, uh, giving them uh, contacts very early on into the company to uh, mentoring or sparing. So some uh, one person has a problem, another person uh, in the company may have the solution and who should talk with each other. So all the different steps in the employee lifecycle can be supported by matching and, and must be supported, of course, in our view, by matching. Uh, this is one thing, the HR um, aspect. Um, furthermore, there are many different fields for matching. When I go through the world, I will think everything is a matching case, <laughs> like going to a, a conference and meeting the right people, meeting the right people within a community, um, having the right volunteering theme for me. Everything is a matching case. So it basically goes from matchmaking to network building. And you mentioned conferences, and I understand that is also an area where you support just for every participant to make most of the conference, right? That's right. To make most, most of the conference, uh, going there with an icebreaker or having detailed matches regarding the, the background, the professional background, or even having matches, very wild matchings for the, uh, for the drinks afterwards where we want to meet somebody who we would not have met otherwise. You can do whatever you want there have uh, very similar matches or matches that wouldn't have met otherwise, you can play around with that. Sounds as if you are then migrating into social education um, and um, yeah, how to conduct yourself with your fellow business people. Very good. Um, but of course, with all those areas of deployment, there are challenges. What do you find difficult? What are the areas where you put most focus on in terms of making changes, improvements? On the one hand, it's people. It's always people. And people need to um, have trust in our system to really want to use it. 
For us, therefore, it's very important that uh, in the recruiting context, there's more regulation than now. So even if I am a, a, an AI startup, I want to have regulation, please, in our context, um, because I think now so many solutions are around that people learn not to trust, that are not trustworthy, and it harms us as well. Um, and if you have a regulation saying, oh, laying out the, the basis uh, so that we can show that we are trustworthy, that we are transparent, that we are controllable, it will help us. So trust as a basis for using our system is very important for us. And if it's not there, we can forget it. Yeah, trust into digital systems, obviously very, very important topic. And I understand you in a sense that you would expect more clarity on the requirements, on the benchmarking of what um, differentiates a trustworthy system from one that may not be so, right? Yeah, right. That's a really easy question. <laughs> as, as we all know, what, what's trustworthy, what, what isn't, and how can you show it? Um, we are doing a lot uh, in this context uh, in research projects with the German government as well, German Ministry for, for Work and Social Issues. And uh, we are trying to find out what differentiates the systems and what exactly we have to tell our users, the participants, so that they can trust the system. What level of transparency do they need? And just assuming the European Union AI Act is coming into force, do you expect any help from that front or wouldn't do that the trick? Yes, I, I do expect help from that front. We, we welcome that a lot. I know that I'm not alone <laughs> in my in my peer group, but there are lots of uh, tech companies who say it's too much, too much regulation, it hinders innovation. We don't think that. We think that uh, innovation in our HR context can really be based on the AI Act and on the trust building it provides. So our, our research project really takes that into account and tries to build a solution that even now um, uh, is compliant with the current AI Act proposal. So, and yeah, that sounds as if that is a reciprocal um, system where wherever you have more trust, you will promote the system in a faster and better way and so their codependency between the two and i think that's a nice inroad perhaps to speak a little bit more about technology do you also expect more to come on the technology front will i mean with the increasing capability of the system um, that also transform the service you offering or is that already on a certain plateau Do you mean, will we use uh, large language models or other forms of AI to enhance our platform? Yes, and perhaps more generally, um, the increased capability of the system with uh, um, just ever more nuanced and dedicated applications that also and specifically touches on um, the evaluation of people and the ever better abilities to fine-tune. Uh, what does that mean for your service offering? Will it just be changing as we go forward or are you already at a level where you say, well, that's how it may stay for quite some time? I'm sure it will be changing all the time. We uh, look into different kinds of new technology 
all the time, of course. And if there's something that we think will enhance our, our solution, uh, we look into it. Um, for us, it's very important um, that certain kind of, uh, of technology does not have any place in our solution. And that's machine learning in the decision about people. In our opinion, if, if you decide on the shortlist for a job, for example, then you need to make sure that you decide on individual people and not on groups of people. Deciding on uh, groups of people or on uh, majorities will always have a problem with diversity and ethics. You will always have the danger of uh, promoting the largest group uh, in your set and of demoting the uh, smaller groups. So we think that machine learning in the context of decisions about people for us does not have a place, does not, should not be applied. We think that if it's about individual uh, decisions, it should always be like individual data, individual preferences, individual sets of decision-making algorithms. But there are, of course, small fields where we think that, for example, large language models, if it helps me with categorizing skills, skill sets or something like that, that might have a place, but not in the core decision on people. So that's interesting, Rosemary. And I understand that in the sense that you would always reserve the question of which individual to pick to a human as opposed to much of the um, preceding analytics um, that may just be the realm of the system and leave it there. Is, is that a right understanding? Um, it's, it's one aspect that's very important from my, uh, from my view. Um, one aspect, as you just said, is uh, in the end, the, the human being should have the last word. It's human oversight, human in command, what we are talking about. Yes. But there's another aspect there, which I think is very important, and it has to do with AI architecture. You could either use algorithmic decision-making, deterministic algorithms to find matches, or you could, for example, use a machine learning architecture. With machine learning, you will almost always have a problem with diversity because machine learning uses the aspects or the features of the largest group, the highest probability, um, and it takes decisions um, or makes suggestions on individual based on the largest group. So you always have a bias or diversity aspect there that you have to control. And we think uh, in decisions about people, it's very hard to control. So we rather go for uh, algorithmic decision-making based on very clear algorithms that really take into account what you as a single person want and give you what you want and not what other people who are like you wanted. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So in a, in a way you are saying this specific bias problem that comes along with unsupervised learning where you simply take the given data sets and let the system run is a problem. And I think one way of countering that is to just simply use the more traditional form of supervised learning. And then you make sure that the results that you um, come up with or the system comes up with is something that really accords to a educated understanding of which individual to pick. 
that's very interesting. Perhaps we, just because there are so much more stuff on which you dedicate, let go one more time to your role um, of advising the German government and the AI roadmap. Just what are the topics you are concerned with in that area and what does drive you around at this particular point in time? So my, my area of expertise is when the AI meets people, the socio-technical uh, part of it. How do people want to control the AI in the HR context? And what kind of framework do we need to make sure that the AI does work in an ethical and bias-sensitive way, not bias-free, because that will never be possible, but bias-sensitive way. And you see progress being made on that uh, front? Well, on the one hand, I see uh, that many expert groups get to the same conclusion, which is one that the AI or software solutions in general should be transparent and understandable, and two, that they should be controllable by humans. That's what I think every expert, ethical expert group agrees on. And uh, second, I see that the uh, AI Act tries to work on that and to provide a set of rules to uh, implement that in algorithms. The question now is how to really do it, because it's only, you know, it's only a set of rules and then you have to put a stop button for, the, for your AI in your actual system. And what does it stop? And what runs on? And uh, what do you need to stop it? There are still a lot of questions there that can only be solved in the practical uh, down-to-earth context. Absolutely. Oversight is an abstract term. Breaking it down to something specific can be very, very challenging, in particular with a technology that progresses so incredibly fast. Rosemary, that was terrific. Thank you so much. And um, thank you, everybody, for joining. It was great to have you and hope you tune in again to our next edition of The Influencers, which will come up soon for today. Goodbye, everybody, and take care. Visit our digital assets and blockchain hub at engagepremium.hoganlovels.com for more podcasts and other resources.